gosh. <laughs> this is my dad's time. I get hear everything. Well, 
God, how we come, we cannot wait and rejoice for the time you return, God, and you cause each and every one of us upon the name. Lord Jesus, that we can call up in the clouds, God, and we can rejoice with you forever and ever. God, you promise a new heaven and a new earth, let the old pass away. Behold, you are making all things new. Lord Jesus, we thank you, we praise you for that. Lord Jesus, I ask you to give us a chance, and that was a great beautiful word. Allow us to apply to our lives and help us in the sun's name. Good morning. Well, good news. Next week, we will be back in our auditorium. So, yeah. I'll be too bad here. I mean, it's nice. You know, I daydream about basketball when I'm in here, but other than that, you know, it's all right. But no, we got a clear air test uh, this week, so they gave us the, the green light to start setting back up in the auditorium. So, be watching for some advertisement of needing help to do that. Again, for those that came out and helped us clean those chairs, that was awesome. Pastor Frank wasn't doing such a great job, so we need some help. No, we, 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 did, we did well. So thank you so much uh, for coming out and helping us. Um, ready for the Christmas season? What, what, a, what a great song you just, you just sang. It's one of my favorites. Because really, that's, that's really the, the purpose of what we're talking about in Mark. He came for what? To be a ransom for men. And that is the whole purpose of Christmas. So this morning, we're going to continue in our conversation in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And I kind of, as I was, I told us last week, we're going to look at Mark chapter 9. But I was studying the end of Mark 8, and there is just so much stuff right here. We just have to keep in Mark 8. Is that okay? We're going to keep at the end of Mark 8 because where Jesus gave the job description of what a disciple of Jesus looks like. And what an appropriate Past the scripture to be in as we live in our world today of truly identifying ourselves as followers of Jesus. But as we do each and every week, I'd like just to recap what we learned last week, so if you would just bear with me. We learned last week in the first part of Mark 8, never to doubt God. Remember, his disciples were, were given kind of a question, a question God, like, hey, where, where are we going to come up with food in this desolate place? talking about the area of the Gentile land, and they just seen Jesus weeks before feed over the 5,000 people. I didn't doubt in what God can do. Understand this, God can always be trusted, amen? Never doubt, and remember, God is always working in the back spaces of our life. Remember that never doubt God. The second life lesson we learned is don't live in discouragement. We remember our story last week. Jesus sends his, his disciples questioning him. Then we had the Pharisees, you know, the, the great friendly neighborhood friends, the Pharisees, who were asking God to hey, give us a sign, Jesus. And if we, we learned a little bit in Deuteronomy 13 and 18 that the nation of Israel was told to ask that of an individual who they thought to be a false teacher or a heretic. So imagine the Pharisees, the religious leaders, here referencing that Jesus would give us a sign. Okay, you're, you're a heretic, you're a false teacher. No doubt Jesus was discouraged. See, when Satan wants to discourage us in our life, don't let him. Keep your eyes focused on the perfecter of our faith. We read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 4, who set before him what was the joy. The joy was what? Redeeming us. That was the joy that set before him to continue in his purpose. 
Then lastly, we learned this idea of focusing on the provider, focusing on the person, not the problem. Remember the story? Jesus got in the boat with disciples. They had one loaf of bread. And Jesus said, hey, listen, guys, don't get sucked in with the leaven of the Pharisees here. Next, the next words out of Peter's mouth was, wait, who brought the bread for the rest of the trip? You didn't want to touch it. It's arguing over bread. And they're sitting with the individual who just fed thousands of people with bread. Our life lesson for that particular point was this. Listen, we focus on the problem and the provider and the sustainer of our life, our spiritual life, our physical life, is right there. He's right in front of us. We talked about this idea a few weeks about being persistent in prayer. When we come to a problem in life and see it's unbearable, our provider is right there with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. It tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 31. So there are just some three, three main life lessons we learned last week from our, our, our sermon in Mark chapter 8, the first part. So, our sermon title this morning is this, Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? As we concluded, we ended our sermon last week with this idea that we can draw a line in Mark chapter 8 and 9. It was the continental divide, we call it. Jesus is no longer trying to prove who he was to the Jews or the Gentiles. He's now focusing on what? Discipling his disciples. Discipling his disciples. Trying to prepare these 12 men of what was coming down the pipe. It was not going to be free. It was something that needed to be done. You ever been at a job, students at school, you've been to a training program, any, any of us, probably, probably all of us have been, probably all of us have been in school at some point, right? Um, I, I hope that's the case. You ever been to a class and, and they, they get to the end of it and they look at you and they used to look at me and say, you know what, uh, we probably should go over this again. Right? Go back and be, yeah, Jason's not understanding this. And you go back to make sure we understood a particular job or a particular subject. How many have been there? Come on, I can't be the only one that needs reminding. I believe this is what Jesus is doing. He's, he's, the disciples walked with him, see him do amazing things. I think Jesus is here saying, okay, I need to spend some time with these guys. They just don't quite get this. This is what leads us to this, this passage of scripture here in Mark 8, verse 27. Jesus needs to get back to the basics of why? Because these 12 men are going to share the message that will change the world forever. It will turn the world upside down with this message of the gospel. So let's look at chapter 8, verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. Went to the circle of Caesarea Philippi. We're going to talk a little bit about that town. And on the way, he asked the disciples, Why do pe who do people say, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And then he asked, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. He strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Now we need to talk a little bit about Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is a town that is on the base of Mount Hebron. You see a picture of it here. If you go out into our foyer area, you see the painting on the far wall. Susan painted a picture of Mount Hebron. Now Hebron is a very key place for worship. And the base of that Mount Caesarea Philippi was created, made, is where the Jordan River begins. The water comes out of Mount Hebron, and it starts to begin at the genesis of the Jordan River. 
It is known at this time, 2,000 years ago, as the Mecca of false worship. Okay? And we, we see pictures of hell. We see in the past, um, so we've got to put that picture up with the stone of the mountain here. So this is Israel. This is somewhere just between that chance to get Israel. We're standing in this little cove where they would put idols and worship. This was the Caesarea Philippi. This was Caesarea Philippi. They continued to worship false gods. It's not a mistake that Jesus brings his disciples to the Mecca of false worship to ask these two questions. Yeah, I love when Jesus would teach his disciples. He was a very good object lesson teacher. You think you read through the Gospels, he related to people where they were. So he takes them up to the base of this mountain, Caesarea Philippi, and he asks these two questions. It's not a mistake, he's standing in the mecca of false worship. See, there are three groups of people that really saw Caesarea Philippi as very important in worship the Jews. Well, the, the Jews thought it was significant because it was the source of living water. The source of the river, the, the rushing water coming out of Mount Hebron, it was the Jordan River. So the Jews loved it because they noticed the spring of life, the water of life flowed out of that mountain. For the Romans, this was a place that Caesar Augustus, that name ring a bell? You'll read that in the Christmas story here in the next several weeks. Caesar Augustus was deified in Caesarea Philippi. Do you remember our story with King Herod? Remember King Herod? We kind of tried to start climbing up his family tree, and then we jumped out because it was getting a little too crazy. Right? King half-brother, King Philip, and the marrying his sister, his, his half-wife was his niece. He was just like, ooh, like Jerry Springer on steroids was King Herod's family, right? Remember? Well, King Philip called, named Caesarea Philippi in honor of Caesar Augustus and, of course, himself, Caesarea Philippi. During this time, many Christians, or Romans, once a year would have to go to Caesarea Philippi to pay homage to Rome. And they would take incense, and they would put it on the statue of Caesar Augustus, and they would say what? Caesar is Lord. They would do that once a year. But when the Christians had to go up and do it, many of them lost their lives because they would stand before the statue and they could not worship Caesar Augustus. You know what they would say? Jesus is Lord. Boy, that caused some serious problems with the Romans. Many of them were persecuted and lost their lives. It was important to the Greeks. The Greeks worshipped the God, one of, one of the many gods, called the Pan. He was called Pan. The pan guy. You, you see a picture here of a, of a, of a cave. I'm not going to stand right in front of it. 2,000 years ago, I want you to picture the rushing water flowing out of this cave. So there was turbulent water always going about in this particular cave. So what people would do to appease this Greek god Pan, they would cast their sacrifice, their animals, into this cave. And guess what else this cave was known to call back in this day? It was the mouth of Hades. Interesting what Jesus says here in his text, and actually in Matthew's text, about Hades. So keep that on, on, on the top of your mind here. You see, it was relevant that Jesus was taking his disciples to the pagan place of worship. And he asked the question, who do people say that I am? But the most important question was, who do you say that I am? So we need to turn to Matthew's account. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Again, the Gospels are different camera angles of the life of Jesus. Matthew can just add a little bit more verbiage to what was talked about in this story. And so Peter answers here in Matthew 16, verse 16. He says, Son of Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
So you think Peter believed who Jesus was? Yes? Yep. He said it with his mouth. See, in Mark's account, he says, Peter says, you are the Christ. Matthew accounts it for the son of the living God. A little bit more declaration of who Jesus is. See, their open confession at this point was essential. Because people during this time were not truly identified. They didn't know who Jesus was. They were, they were following him. And he was doing some amazing things. But they were questioning who he really was. What he had come to do. See, this question and this answer from Peter solidified. Okay, they understand what Jesus is trying to do. They said, they haven't acted like this, but they said Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But I want us to go to verse 18. Of all the frailties and all the, the, the shortcomings of the disciples, Peter says, and here's what Jesus tells him. Jesus telling Peter this. I tell you, you are Peter. And upon this rock, you remember where they're at? They're standing in Caesarea Philippi, the, the, the place of pagan worship. And he's telling Peter, listen, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, will not stand against it, will not prevail against it. He's standing in this place of pagan worship, and he's looking around. He goes, listen, I'm going to build my church in the And all this stuff won't stand against it. And understand that word hell, Hades, some scholars believe it's dealing with the satanic powers of hell, not necessarily hell itself, but it kind of is like the same, one the same. But he's saying, in a sense, this, he's saying this, he's saying all these religions, these false teachings, the satanic powers of hell, all this stuff that are false, that go against who I am, won't go stand against me. It's very significant, Jesus was in Cesarea Philippi. And we know the history of Cesarea Philippi. Faith Bible, aren't you glad that 2,000 years removed from this story that the church is alive and well today? Not just in places of comfort Christianity like here in the United States, but in places like Latinia, Africa, places like Iran and Iraq. Guess what? The church is alive and well. Yes, they're not sitting in comfy gyms or buildings and having worship music, but the church is growing because it's Jesus' church. The church is alive and well. Faith Bible, aren't you glad that your pastor your leader, your shepherd is Jesus Christ. It's not Pastor Frank and I. We're here. He's, God's used us here. We're here just his worker. Jesus is our shepherd. We can come and go, but the church will be grow because of Jesus' church. Aren't you glad that despite our weaknesses and our frailties, God still has chosen the likes of us to be used by him and his church? We don't deserve Please use this just like he used Peter. Peter, he's, he's a knucklehead. Peter, we know the life of Peter. But God says, Peter, I'm going to build my church. And they're going to say, what about it? That's what Jesus is all about. You see, church, our gathering is not about one person or one leader or one deacon or one pastor. It's about Jesus. He continues to give, he continues to give us the grace we need to accomplish what he sees fit for his church. Never forget. So you get the picture this morning. Jesus stands with disciples. He's standing amongst pagan worship. And he asks the question, who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? And that's what I want to leave you with. I'll start with our first question this morning. Is this, who is Jesus to you? You might not be able to answer that right now. I know you're thinking, okay, well, you're going to give him all these great answers. But I think, who is Jesus to you? I love what Pastor Bodie Bowden says this. He says this 
the modern church is producing passionate people filled with empty heads who love the Jesus they don't know very well. Let me read that again. The modern church is producing passionate people filled with empty heads who love the Jesus they don't know very well. Christian, what about you? Christmas season's coming. I see the Christmas lights, we see the nativity scene, we see it, and Jesus is part of even the conversation with people who don't know him. Because he's part of tradition in our Christmas season. We as Christians understand why we celebrate Christmas. But if I were to ask you, who is Jesus? You may say six of these things. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. He is my provider. He is my King. He is my protector. He is my comforter. Yes, 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 and yes. Do you believe that? Okay. Now I'm going to mock you this morning. Then live that. Then live that. Then act like it. Then serve like it. Work your job like that is true. My parents live, raise your families like it. See, we're, we're like the disciples in many ways. Yeah, Jesus, you're the son of the living Christ. You have the son of the living God. Yes, that's great. You said it. Now, Peter, after that, many times in our life we act like this. We say we have faith in God. We believe that God, God can do all things. But it ends up being lip service. But we're in the thick of it. When push comes to shove, we really, really trust God. Or do we really doubt God? See, the world is watching us. You call yourself a Christian, they're watching how you handle, how you respond. What do they see in your life of who Jesus is to you? What do they hear? What are you saying to your life? Who is Jesus? They know. They know who you are. How are you living that out? Just one particular example. Just in the area of us. What, what do we pursue? What satisfies us? Contentment. Let's use the word contentment. Even Christians seek after things that try to fulfill their life. And we have the person that should be the fulfillment of everything we have the name of Jesus. Look at Psalms 23, 1 through 4. I have the scripture right behind me. The Lord is my shepherd. This is probably the famous passage of scripture we probably all heard in memory during funerals, during times of struggle and trauma. Listen, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Son of God being our provider. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are, you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. When you're going through it, when you're going through struggle and tragedy, who is Jesus to you? How do you live out who Jesus is to you? Is your satisfaction in Jesus Christ? Or are you still constantly trying to pursue the world and its desires and its passions and its narrative and its cultural demands? And the world sees it. You talk about this, Jesus. But you look satisfied. Or what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in me, for I've learned whatever situation I am to be content. Can you truly say that to God? Okay, this is self-evaluation. I don't just think that. Hey, don't. It's about us. Are we truly content and satisfied? Do we believe who we say Jesus is? He said it. 
before when you're with a coworker, a family, a friend. Who you say Jesus is that come out in our actions, in our attitude, in our flesh. I like what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 7. He says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Brothers and sisters, we need to live a life that Jesus put out before us. Not just to provide lip service. Jesus should be the center of what everything we do in our lives. Just be Christians. For us, we know Jesus. Good hands, bad questions. If you're today, you don't know Christ. I, I, I want to just kind of talk to you for a moment, too. What do you do with this question? Who is Jesus to you? Maybe you're watching online. He's a good person. Yeah, he was. He was a prophet. Yes, he was. He did miracles. Yes, he did. He died on the cross. Yes. He loved children. Yeah, he did that too. All true. Knowing these things as head knowledge will do nothing for you in eternity. You see, when you ask the question, who is Jesus to you? You ask any other individual here who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We should be all in in the cross. We give our life to Jesus. We put our faith and trust in ask Christ into our life to save us, to forgive us of our sins, repent from our sins, turn from our wickedness. We're all in. We're giving ourselves to Christ. And He will transform your life into something that you can never imagine. I get a party in that church because all of us were once debtors to sin, and now we're victors in Christ because of the blood of Jesus. And if you're here today or you're watching online, he is calling you for today. You can be here today and say, I know who Jesus is. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. He is my Redeemer. And this is why we celebrate this season. Because he came as our rescuer to rescue us from sin. So we would not have to spend an eternity in hell away from our God. So trust him today. So let's move on to our story this morning. We go to verse 31, Mark chapter 8, verse 31. We're back in Mark. Jesus here has a serious conversation with his disciples. He got it all straightened out. But who do you say that I am, guys? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Great. Peter, I'm going to build my church behind the gate to Katie, and I'm going to out and prevail against it. Then he continues, he says, and he began to teach them. That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. That, that word there in the Greek, boldly, calmly. You ever talk to someone who's matter of fact? So you, you knew they were serious, they were bold, but they, they were sure about themselves. That's what Jesus was saying. Listen, this is what's going to happen. This is matter of fact. He previously hinted of his death. You see that in John 1 and John 3. But this is the first time that Jesus sat with his disciples, his followers, and said, this is what's coming down. This is what you need to be ready for. What did Peter say? Look, look down the text. Well, Peter said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. Is that what he said in the text? Yeah, Peter's a knucklehead, like many of us are. 
And Peter took him aside, took Jesus aside, and began to rebuke him. How dare you, right? Now, we're there rebuking the Greek, a very strong disapproval. <laughs> but Peter, just moments before, you're, you're, you're the Christ, the Son of the most living, high living God. And when Jesus says this is what's going to happen, okay, hold, hold, hold on, Jesus. I disagree with you here. Now, I need to show you. You want to do it my thoughts on okay? But let me just share you what's going on in my mind. What, I, love, I love Jesus' response. Look here. Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things above, but on the things of man. Now, Jesus is not calling Peter, Satan. But Satan is using Peter to distract from the purpose of what Jesus is trying to do. And he then talks to Jesus, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. What do you think? This is maybe some homework for you this week. The disciples are struggling either in their faith. Just by the response again, live like Jesus is your Lord. See, they, they're saying Jesus is Lord, he's the Son of the Most High God. Or are they living it? No, their actions don't reflect that. What do you think Peter got? You go to 1st, 2nd Peter in the New Testament, his book, his book was about suffering. He got it. He got it one point. At some point in his life, and then people say after Jesus came back from the dead and talked to Peter, he was like a feeding the sheep. That was the moment Peter, like, got it. He figured it out. What this is all about. The next verse that we read in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and 38, Jesus again sharing with them, listen, here's what I've come to do. These are the marks of what a true disciple of Jesus should look If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you look at Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 38. And you evaluate yourself on this text. We're going to read quickly this morning. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny. Let's just circle that word deny. That's a heavy word there. Not just in our language, but also in the Greek. Deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. If Jesus is talking figuratively, we know literally Jesus will carry a cross. For whoever would save his life will lose, but whoever loses his life for my sake, and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my wounds is an adulterous and sinful generation. Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father and the Holy Angels. Who is Jesus to you? Is the first question. Now as we get into this job description of being a follower of Jesus, the second question is this. Are you a true disciple of that Jesus? Are you a true disciple of that Jesus? Yes, I hear you. I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. I go to church. Okay, I, I hear you. The disciples, they call Jesus the Christ the Son of the living God. Okay, I hear you. Are you living? Are you living? So I, I did some research on a thing called Google. So I just typed in, what, 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 what does the world say about what Christian discipleship is? What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? So I guess this is off the, off the internet, so I'm just going to share it with you. And we'll probably agree with everything that's written here. Christian discipleship is the process 
by which disciples grow in the Lord Jesus Christ and are equipped by the Holy Spirit who resides in our heart. We all say what? Amen. Right? We agree with that. To overcome the treasures and trials of the present life and become more and more Christ-like. Yes. This process requires believers to respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting to examine their thoughts, words, actions, and compare them with the Word of God. Yes, yes, then. Yes. This requires that we be students of God's will, studying, training, and obeying Him. In addition, we are always ready to give a testimony of this gospel. Let's read that first year, chapter 3. And we walk the way of Christ. Do we agree with that statement that that is, yes, that is a follower of Jesus, right? Right. That's a great definition. Some of you guys that are serving in the military, I know Matt Myers is here, Matt, where's he at? There he is, Matt. He's a full-time Coast Guard guy, so welcome back. He's like one of our teams grew up in the church here. Some of you guys in the military, what's the term stolen valor mean to you? You know what stolen valor? Who knows what stolen valor is? Stolen valor is this idea that guys who either were losers in the military, who got kicked out of the military, or wanted to be something else in the military, dress up in a military uniform with medals and things to get benefits and to get compliments, to get, you know, 5% off your order at, you know, Starbucks, I don't know what, what they do. How many military guys have ran to guys like this? Yeah. You can, you can call these guys back. And if you see, I don't know, match back. Crazy. So this is, this is a, a Marine, my father's a Marine. He's a dress blue uniform. He's wearing a Navy SEAL trident on his uniform. He's mixing up arm food. So these guys are, are literally morons. Okay? But they're trying to act as so it's funny, when Mitch joined in the army, I would go on YouTube and just look at different, they call it stolen valor stories. These guys in the military, they catch these guys out in public. Ooh. They want to rip that uniform off. Why? Because they did not earn it. And they're trying to be someone they're not. Sounds like some Christians. We come become a Christian because we want to get to heaven. You want to have a religious standing in society. You're a good person. You're a Christian. Oh, you go to faith Bible church. But are you truly a follower and disciple of what we just read? Are we disciples of Jesus Christ? You have to answer that yourself. I can't answer that for you. There's two options we have here. We either exist for God, meaning He created us, He made us, we're here, we exist for Him. We're just doing our own thing. Or, we live for God. And we live for His purpose and His desire for our life, which means denying ourselves and living wholly to God. Or just existing for God. See, when we look at this job description, we either are going to deny ourselves or we're going to live for ourselves. We're either going to embrace the cross or we're going to ignore the cross. There are options. You like options in life, right? Here's your options. You either live for yourself or you deny yourself. You either embrace the cross or you deny yourself. See, we must dethrone ourselves, we must die to self if we're going to follow Jesus. What do you say in verse 35? Therefore, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What is Jesus saying here? You're going to save yourself. You're going to save your soul when you give yourself wholly to Jesus Christ. 
There's no other option. There's no other way to live the Christian life. You're either all in or you're not. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're either all in, you're denying yourself, or you're not. I'm going to say two statements that may get me in trouble. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's part of my good decision. No, I'm just kidding. I'll take Kyle and I got bodyguard on this one. No. Being a church goer, being a church attender, does not make you disciple Jesus. Sorry to, to break the news to you. Being a church goer and being a church attender does not make you a disciple of Jesus. Let me go one step further. Giving money to the church or a Christian organization does not make you a disciple of Jesus Christ. Does it? Does anyone can do these things? People that don't know Jesus and act and look like they're Christian. Doesn't make you a disciple of Jesus Christ. So as we close this morning, I want to give us five, five marks of what I believe a true disciple of Jesus looks like. You know, just like using the military illustration, listen, if you want, you want the military uniform, what do you got to do? You got to join the service. And you got to go through all the crazy stuff those guys go through in boot camp and earn that uniform, right? Listen, we're going to be a follower of Jesus. There's some things we got to deny. There's some things that we got to change in our life. But we're truly going to call ourselves a Christ follower. First things first. Put Jesus first in all things. We read this in Mark chapter 8. Jesus must be primary in our life if we consider ourselves truly a follower of Jesus. Again, you have to evaluate yourself. No one else can do that for you. Our focus should be solely on the Lord, trying to please Him in all areas of our life. Number two, follow Jesus' teachings. We see that in John chapter 8, verse 31, 32. We must be obedient children following our master. I used the illustration in the first service. I was in college at the time. You remember the, the David Koresh story of Waco, Waco, Texas, Waco, Texas, right? This guy who thought he was the Jesus or the son of David. I watched the documentary. It's very interesting when you watch the documentary. Those individuals in that cult would do anything for that guy. They followed his word. Totally and perfectly, even to the death. We call ourselves followers of Jesus. This book here should be our God to everybody. Jesus gives us that example in Philippians chapter 2. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. That was his purpose, that was his mission. What are we called to do here as Christians? In God's word. We must obey. You must follow Jesus' teachings. Thirdly, you must be fruitful. John chapter 15, verses 5 through 8. Now understand this. Our job is not bearing fruit. Oh, wait, it said to be fruitful. No, our job is to abide in Christ and the Holy Spirit produces that fruit. We can't produce fruit in and of ourselves, can we? No, because we look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are we saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. We can't gain our salvation. Why would we produce our own fruit? We abide in Christ, and the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of us. And we become more obedient to God's calling in our life and His purpose, and we live solely for Him. And fruit will come forth by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So putting Jesus first, following the word of God, following Jesus' teaching, being fruitful by relying on the Holy Spirit. Fourthly, this one might be a problem for some of us, but loving one another. I, that doesn't happen here at the Bible Church. We all love each other. But loving other disciples. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. We're a family, right? Some of us in here may not have a great family life at home. But we found a family here. First Corinthians chapter 13, they call it the love chapter. Probably every wedding, I know I, I, I use that text in our big weddings. First Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. That was not a wedding text. In fact, Paul is actually referred, referring to the church. If you read, read that. I know that you know, we, have, we had that verse hanging in our, in our, in our living room somewhere. It was a nice, very nice verse, great. But you read it, so yeah, that, that really fits a, a marriage, yes. But read it and think about the church. Like, hmm, you mean John the Baptist in the church? I need to love him like this? Yes! First, I'm trying to ignore the church. You gotta love him. That's what about being a disciple is all about. If we can't love one another, how are we going to be a disciple of Jesus? Then it comes back to denying ourselves. Number five is tell others. Tell others. Matthew 28, 19, 20. Do you want to share with unbelievers the wonderful change that happened in our life? When we came to Christ. Listen, we're not asking you to go out on the street corner and, and, and preach. Not want to, hopefully. We're just asking you to share what God has done in your life, how He's changed you. Like, here's where you were before you were a believer, and guess what? I came to Christ, and this is where I'm at. And I've changed, and I don't do this anymore, not because of my own power, because Jesus has changed His first. 2 Corinthians 5 17 says, He made me a new creation. How many of you here are new creation? Because of what Christ has done. Be enthusiastic about sharing what Christ has done. I, I remember an old time, a pastor I grew up with, um, Dr. E. Robert Jordan was his name. And he was a sailor, a, a World War II vet. And he, when I was little, he preached. And he got saved, man. God changed his life. This guy was a, a heathen, pagan, just. Well, he's a sailor, so he just a bunch of mind wandered there. And so when he started he started street preaching in Philadelphia, and no one would pay any attention to him. Just ignore him. So he would take his Bible, he'd put his Bible on the ground, put his sailor hat over the top of it, and he'd go, It's alive! It's alive! And people came up, he picked up the Bible and started preaching at it. Isn't that one way to get, get people's attention? Now, I don't, I don't expect you to do that in Bible, but please probably rescue, all right? But what can you share with people about God's in your life? So there you have it. Put Jesus first. Follow the word of God. Be fruitful. Love one another. And tell others about this good news that has changed your life. One of those in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Paul, in a nutshell, gives us really what discipleship is about in our life. We know this verse is probably put to memory. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives with me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what the is. 
that's being a follower of what Jesus looks like. I have been crucified with Christ. I'm the one that Christ lives me. So you have two, two thoughts to think about this week. Who is Jesus to you? Be your God, your Savior, like Peter said he was, and live like it. Then act like it. So, and the second question I'm going to leave you is this. And I'm going to go back to Christmas. If you're here today, you don't get Christ, we would love to introduce you to Jesus. He will change your life. He will change your life. And second question is this. Are you, are you a true disciple of that Jesus? Think of this five months. You have them in your life. I hope so. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, the time we have to come and just, just study the word. Thank you for just these stories and these, these chapters in the gospel that show human frailty to the disciples. It makes me feel remind us what you have to do for us. And that you, you, you trust us with this gospel, even though we're sinners and, and you saved us. We need to rely on your strength and your power. Because the church is all about you, Jesus. So thank you so much for this. These reminders for us this week. May we go this week. May we just, even as a little conversation, may we share this good news. Christmas is a, a, the perfect time to share what Jesus has done for us. May we take the time to do that with our friends and our family, people in our community. God bless us. Thank you again for this. Your precious.